Wow, where to start? Let's go to Genesis. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> no, Joshua, right? We've been marching through Joshua, right? Most, how, how many of you have been here for the march through Joshua? You've been pretty much on the, on the team here. We made it up to Joshua 22. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a little story here. There's two stories. I've chosen the shorter one for your benefit. That is, in the mid, I think it was about the 15th century, there was a monk who had felt in his heart that he had been involved in gossip and a rumor. And so he went to his leadership and asked, what, what should he do? And uh, so the leader told him, well, the way to really make this right is to take and put a feather on the doorstep of every home where you believe that rumor was multiplied because of you. And so he spent the day going all through the little village and putting these feathers on everybody's doorsteps. But he still didn't feel better. He thought it would take care of the way he felt. So he came back to his leader and said, I, I did that, but it does, I, I don't feel any better. He said, oh, that's because you have to go through the next step. He said, well, what's that? He said, now you need to go around and pick up all the feathers off of all the doorsteps. He said, that's impossible. They've been blown all over town. He said, that's the point. The power of a rumor. In Joshua chapter 21, at the end, the last three verses, it says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. That sounds like the Lord we were worshiping this morning. When he gives us a promise, he's going to bring it to pass. He doesn't fail. We fail, as we heard others mentioned here this morning, uh, on the idea of saying yes versus no. Uh, we've said yes to God a lot of times. He takes us up on each of those yeses. And when we've failed and said no, he just helps us get strong through that process and welcomes us back in and says, let's go again. He never rejects us. He, he's made promises to you. How many of you say, believe that God has said something specific to you, a promise that you're waiting on, right? Well, don't get tired. Don't get weary in well-doing. It will come. It will come. You know, when he said, write down the vision, make it plain, because there's an appointed time for it to come to pass, and if it's not here yet, just wait for it. It's still coming. God promised, took Abram from his own country, left his family and all of his belongings and his people, that he took with him, he went, traveled, you know, from all that fertile crescent. This is a map, by the way, on your side. Traveled from way over here in Mesopotamia, all the way up here to down through what we know as Israel now. God said, I'm promising this entire land to you and to your descendants. And we come to the point where after literally hundreds of years have gone by, and now they're standing in it. They're parked at Shiloh. And I don't know how you, what, what word you use, you know, for a boat, you moor it, right? For a car, you park it. But for 
millions of Israelites, I don't know what you say about them, but they were definitely in their tents, camping. So they were camping, thank you. There they were, all the promises of God had come to pass for them. And Joshua, sitting out back in his easy chair at Shiloh, the tabernacle is set up, the worship center's in place, the altar's there, they're able to offer their worship to God through sacrifices again. They've been on the move for a long time. In verse in chapter 22, says Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, you have kept. I hope you can get a picture in your mind. I'm picturesque, so I see these things when I talk about them. I mean, he calls these tribes. That's a lot of people. But in this case, it's just the fighting men. The, the wives, the children, and the homes are on the other side of Jordan. They've been away from them, fighting. Some of you have military backgrounds. You know what it's like to be shipped out, deployed, be gone from your family for a long period of time. These guys have been away from their families basically for at least seven years. Some estimate as many as 14. Because they said on the east side of Jordan, when you go into Canaan to possess the land that God has given you, we will go with you and we will fight with you until the land is subdued and subjected. And we will not leave our brothers, the other tribes. We will fight alongside them until we take the land and bring it into subjection. And then we'll go home. And Joshua calls them and says, guys, it's been a long fight. But you've kept everything that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And you have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You haven't left your brothers there these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Now therefore, return. Go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. Go home, boys. It's time to go home. Imagine the joy in their hearts. On, on many points. One at least is that their brothers have peace. Everything's done that God said he would do. Their anticipation of going home is rising in their heart. Hey, we're going to get to go home. Let's go. Let's do this. But Joshua in his wisdom says this to them before they leave. Take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you. Comma in our Bible. And he gives this brief list. Love the Lord your God. Walk in His ways. Keep His commandments and hold fast to Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Does it sound like the answer that Jesus gave the lawyer that asked for the greatest commandment? Which, by the way, if you're unaware of this, in Jewish understanding, all the laws have equal relativity. There's no law that's more important than the other. So the lawyer was trying to trick Jesus. Bad idea, but he still tried. So which one's the most important? Which is the greatest? There wasn't a greatest. But Jesus didn't hesitate to respond by saying, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one's just like the first one. That's love your neighbor as yourself. This wasn't a new idea that Jesus brought to the table for that day. It comes all the way back from here and even further back in Deuteronomy. But Joshua doesn't have anything new to tell these guys. We've been fighting for the same ideals for years now. But as you go and we part company, I want to remind you of these things. Be really careful about what you're going to do in the future. Love God 
First and foremost, don't let it be a duty experience. Don't do it just because he's God and you're little. Do it because he's God and he called you and you love him and you respond to him. I loved our worship this morning together in the music part. I know it's not everybody's style, probably. Who didn't like it? Nobody's going to raise their hand on that one, right? But that moment where we can express, and there's, I believe Rob has such a leadership style that he opens that window for us to express what we want to express individually and personally between songs, in songs, and all the time. And for some, that may sound like chaos, but he brings our chaos into order. <laughs> so I enjoyed worshiping, and I too, if I've been wearing makeup, like, like Julie, it would be washed down my cheeks. Love God because you just love Him. Say yes to Him because you're saying yes to Him. He's lovable. He's not just a big stick God that some churches taught about years ago and whacked you on the knuckles if you weren't doing it right. And <laughs> Some of you smiled really big on that because you went through it. You grew up in there. Love Him because He's lovable. Love Him because He loves you. So when we're separate, Josh is saying to these Excuse me for being too familiar, but I have a son-in-law named Joshua. It's easy to shorten Joshua to Josh. So Joshua says, we're going to be separate, so really be careful. Wherever you go, love God. On the east of Jordan, love God. Foremost, walk in His ways. Keep His commandments and hold fast to Him. Keep your relationship current. Keep your heart right. And serve Him with all your heart. You'll never come up short when you serve God with all your heart. I want to insert a commercial here. I felt like during our worship time there were many opportunities where it could have been said, perhaps you're here this morning and your heart is just pounding saying, when are they going to let me accept Jesus? Have you ever been in those services where it's like, are they going to let me do it? They've talked about it a few times. They said it was okay to give my heart to Jesus. They said I should give my heart to Jesus. Are they going to let me do it? That's you this morning. We want to let you do it. We want to let you do it. Surrender to Him. Serve Him wholeheartedly. You'll never lose. Even if you lose your life on this planet, you don't lose. It's just another seed sown. Love Him with all your heart and soul. So Joshua blessed them, sent them away, and they went to their tents. Joyous day about to be ruined by a rumor. Now, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan, and to the other half, Joshua gave a possession among their brothers on this side of the Jordan westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock and silver, with gold and bronze and iron and all this clothing you've gotten. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers when you get home. There's others waiting that have been as David said about some of his armies, he said, the guys that stay by the stuff get equal share. So when you get home, share that with them. Be a blessing when you get back. You've been gone a long time, but look what you're coming home with. Have a party. Share it. And be blessed in what God has done for you. So the children of Reuben, children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh. By the way, Shiloh, where the tabernacle was set up, became the worship center for Israel. Joshua has this to his credit. When they got there and God said, set it up. This is going to be the worship center 
It, that lasted for 100 years. They worshipped at Shiloh. Until the unfortunate day of Samuel, Eli, and his sons. When they lost the ark in a battle. And it went into the enemy's hands. And it wasn't restored back to Israel until David became king. And then the worship center was restored in Jerusalem. When the ark was brought and David set up his tabernacle, it's called the Tabernacle of David. It was just a tent open on all sides with the ark in the middle and everybody could come and worship. It was, it was a testimony of grace and faith way ahead of time because nobody could approach the ark except the high priest. But David brought it home, set it up out in the open. I love this one passage where David was in trouble and it says he came and he sat down in the presence of God. And I get this picture of David having his troubles, walking up to this fly tent, if you will, with the ark in the middle of it and pulling up at a chair and saying, where's my help come from? I just need to sit here with God and talk with him. He was accessible in that moment. This is almost too comfortable. It's going to take a crank to get me up. So Shiloh establishes the worship center and these guys are leaving. says they're leaving, going uh, to go to the country of Gilead, the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Verse 10, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. In fact, by the time we get to the end of this chapter, they're going to tell you in verse 28, says, Here is the replica of... It's a replica of the altar that was in front of the tabernacle in Shiloh. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, you may want to write in the margin of your Bible right there, the power of a rumor. You don't have to. A lot of your Bibles are electronic, so difficult. Take you too much time. Children of Israel heard someone say, you know, with this kind of stuff going on in the in, in Canaan, I mean, there's victories. The whole land is subjugated to the Israelites. It's a new day. Things are di way different. So anything that happens, good news travels fast, right? Bad news travels faster. And so it didn't take long after they built that altar for somebody to make it. And it wasn't a long distance, by the way. I told Peggy yesterday, I was just curious in my own mind. I'm not a real uh, ge geography kind of student, but I thought, all of this is happening around the Jordan River that runs down the middle of Israel, right? Back and forth across the river. Sometimes it's divided by God. Sometimes they have to swim. And I thought, how long, does anybody know how long the Mississippi River is? We have a river that's country too, right? You know, it's like over 2,000 miles long. I thought, gee, I wonder how long the Jordan is. So I looked it up. It's less than 200 miles. I thought, it's like this. It's chiquitita. Yeah. Ours is like this, and theirs is like this. It's a little country. I think you could probably fit Israel inside the Florida Peninsula. It's not big. So they weren't far away over at the edge of the Jordan building this altar. And they built an exact replica. I, I say exact. I, there's nothing biblical about that. Or at least a replica of the one that was in front of the tabernacle. Now, turn with me, if you want, to Deuteronomy chapter 12. And we'll see what the problem is. Deuteronomy chapter 12 says, 
These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire, cut down their carved images of their gods, and destroy the, their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all which you have put your hand to, to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. Remember we read at the very beginning those last three verses of the previous chapter saying where God brought them into their rest and gave them their possession. When you cross over Jordan, verse 10, and dwell on the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about you so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithes, the heave offering of your hand, all that your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons, and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. One place. You're supposed to worship. So, these guys are building a second altar. Israel hears about it. The rumor spreads. So what do they do? If you've read this, you know the answer. The armies line up. And they are going to go over and take out their brothers. Literally. They're going to go to war against the guys that just left town. Gosh, there's, there's so much to be said in this passage about the way we live today. And it's just racing through my mind. And you're probably, you should smile and say thank you because I'm not going to share it all. <laughs> okay? So everybody say thank you, Pastor John. Just share a little bit. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of Jordan on the children of Israel's side. That's on the west. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the children of Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, and with him ten rulers 
one ruler from each of the chief house of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. And there's a lot of history in that verse about the way Israel was structured as a, as a country and a clan and a nation. This is, by the way, how to resolve a misunderstanding peacefully. It applies to us today. If we'll practice it. So they get all together. Let's go to war. Let's take them out. These guys can't be worshiping like this in another place. We're supposed to only worship right here at this altar. They built another one. Let's go get them. Well, before you leave, boys, before you get all your arrows ready and your swords out, what do you say we send Phineas and a group of leaders over to talk to them? Okay, but make it quick. We're going to kill them. I, that's not in the Bible, by the way. I, I, I made that up, okay? Now, Phineas is a key player here. If you're, you got your Bible history on. It says, they came to the, verse 15, they came to the children of Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this? that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, in that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? Now that's a simple passage. But if you go look at the history of Numbers 25, they started commingling with the with the others where they were conquering, they were, they were commingling and marrying wives and partying out in front of God and doing exactly what he told them not to do by intermixing with other nations. And it had gotten so far out of hand that one guy grabbed this girl of the other nation and paraded her right in front of everybody who was on their face crying out to God to forgive them. And he was so bold as to take her by the arm and walk her right through the midst of the prayer meeting and take her into his tent. And Phineas, in that moment, can't take it anymore. He jumps, he grabs a javelin, he runs into this guy's tent, and he puts it right through both of them. And in that moment, the plague stopped. The plague that God had turned loose on them. But before 20,000 people had died, Phineas was the guy that stopped the plague. Why? Because there was something in him that shouted out for righteousness to take place in the eyes of God, and so he put a stop to it. So now imagine, you just built an altar, you're outnumbered, you got two and a half tribes worth of fighters against how many left? You got another nine tribes out there, ten tribes waiting, all lined up on war, and they sent this guy, the javelin man, to chat with you. Yeah, I mean, get a picture here. It's like, hey, what treachery is this? They went, ooh, we saw what he did last time he thought that. Has he got a javelin? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day? By the way, that may have happened within a year's period. I don't know. 
but I wondered why they weren't still cleansed from it. Part of that could have been that uh, the cleansing only came annually, right? I thought, oh, maybe I should look into that. Maybe it was still hanging on them that they had sinned against God. They hadn't come to the year of the Day of Atonement yet. That's conjecture. Just being honest. I like thinking about these things. Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he'll be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. What you do is not separate from us. You're part of us. What you do affects us. And we've heard that before in the March through Joshua, that our sin, our activity is not done in a closet. It's not done by ourselves. We're part of the body of Christ, and the way I live affects you. You know, only in the United States are we taught that independence is real. Where what I do is separate from you. How I act is different than you. It's okay. It's that, uh, what do we call that? Kind of secular humanism, right? That the way I live is the way I live, and you live the way you want to, I'll live the way I want to, and your rules aren't my rules. Not so here. He's saying, look, the way you're living now, the what you've chosen to do, if you do that today, tomorrow the whole country's in trouble. We've been here before. At Peor, come on. It got out of hand and it took out 25,000 of us. We're not going to let this happen again. Says the javelin man. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands. In other words, if, if going back to the other side of the river where everybody's at, if that's not a good place to live, you can live with us. Please, come. Just don't sin. Don't transgress. Don't go against God. Don't take us all out. We've come this far. Don't rebel against the Lord or us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Verse 20, didn't Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass and a cursed thing and wrath fell on the, all the congregation of Israel and that man didn't even perish alone in his iniquity, took out his whole house. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel. Pause. Get on their side of this thing. You just got done building the altar. Kind of tough. You got a great thing in your mind and your heart and you're thinking, this is a good idea. We know why we're doing this. What's that dust in the distance? That looks like the boys. Well, here they are. Hey, Phineas, what's up? I came to chew you out and I'm going to take you out next. And he's, and they're like, huh? What? What is he saying? They're, the, con the incongruency of the conversation must have been present. Wait a minute, you're telling us not to do what we just did, but what we did was good. What we've done is on purpose. Wait, what are you talking about? Wait, we're not sinning. I mean, whoa! Phineas, park the javelin for a second, bud. Let's, let's talk about this. He said, well, that's why we're here. You know, if you could see Phineas and his guys, it's like a little posse, right? Before they got the armies together, let's send a posse. And they, so they came riding into town. So if you've never heard a horse screech, but. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're finally figuring this out. You think we've done something evil. Stop. 
Time out. The Lord God of gods. The Lord God of gods. Verse 22, he knows and let Israel itself know if it in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, don't even save us this day. If that's what our actions have been, don't save us. You know, <laughs> this, by the way, this is a Jewish conversation. Right? So, you, I don't know, put the tone of voice in there if you can. I mean, this is the way they talk to each other. You know, I have a problem with the, the Mandarin language myself. You ever been around them when they're talking? They always sound like they're mad at each other. And the Germans kind of the same way. They're all gruff. You know, they're, they're, they say, I love you. And you think, huh. Is it, you know what I mean? Is it like that? Yeah. Thank you very much. You sound like you're attacking me. But the Jewish, you know, they have their own tone of voice here, right? Well, if that's the way you see it, then don't even save us today. If we build ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer it on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or to, to offer peace offerings on it, then let the Lord himself require an account. I mean, you're not even enough. You and your javelin team are not enough. If we've done this, then let God himself come down here and hold us accountable. Just take us out. Kind of dramatic. But in fact, we have done it for fear. For a reason, saying, in time to come, you may speak to us, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us, you and us, and your children. You children of Reuben and the children of Gad. They might say to us, you just have no part here. Who are you? You live on the other side of the river. You don't have anything to do with this promised land we're in. Generations later, they were concerned. And he says, so your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering or sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, our peace offerings, and that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made though not for burnt offerings nor sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings and grain offerings, besides the altar of the Lord God, which is at before his tabernacle in Shiloh. And now when Phinehas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said to the children of Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. In other words, he's not going to be mad at us tomorrow. And Phinehas, the priest, the rulers, returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, 
land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the children of Israel who were sharpening their swords still. Right? Getting their bow and arrows out. Thinking about, gosh, wish we had some chariots. We could really get to them then. They're still heated up. But they brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben, children of Gad, called the altar witness. For it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Wow. This is the Bible. This is cool. What about us? How does it fit us? Peggy said, well, how does your message fit us? I said, I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> You're so easy. Oh. A moment ago, I said, there's so much marching through my mind, and thank me for not sharing all of it. But rumors get started pretty easy. You know, it's the feather on the doorstep. And when you go back to try and collect it, it's too late. There's another same similar story of that, more modern, of a pastor in a small uh, central, here in the central United States, little Midwest city. Those are towns of 2,500 3,000 people at the max, farming communities. And this couple had picked up a rumor on the pastor and spread it. They didn't verify it. They just repeated it. Later, they found out that it was a lie that had been generated by somebody else in the form of gossip. So they went to his house. And he gave them the same advice as the monk. They knocked on his door and said, we are so sorry. We repent. Would you please forgive us? He says, I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. If there's ever anything we can do to make it up, let us know what it is. He said, there is something you could do on your way home for me. We, whatever it is, we'll do it. You know how that feeling of, I want to pay up now. He went in his room. He came back with a, an opened pillow, handed it to them and said, when you get down to the center of town, you know where the water tower is, would you climb the water tower and just let all of these go? Okay. Why not? Sure. No reason? Yeah, sure. That's what you want. Weird, but we'll do it. He says, there's just one more thing. After you've done that, when you climb down, would you please collect them all and put them back in the bag for me? Oh, pastor, that's ridiculous. We, they'll be blown into the next county. He says, so are the words that you've spoken against me. And in fact, true story, he ended up needing, the pastor actually had to leave the church, move out of town. There was no way to redeem that situation. No way. It was too late. Small community, everybody knows everything. Sound familiar? How do you resolve peacefully a misunderstanding? It's so simple. First, you're going to go through the shock of it. <gasps> Could that possibly be true? Great question to ask. Now answer the question. Let's go find out. Let's go to where that person that's going to be affected lives or works or hangs out. And let's talk directly to them. Oh, if you want to deputize a posse and take your Phineas with you, okay. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to do that, but I'm saying the idea is let's go talk it out. First the shock, then comes the talk. Go and talk. Is that what was said? Is that what happened? Is that what's going on? And if they say to you, oh, way, that's not what's going on, rejoice, the Lord's not going to be mad tomorrow. But if you decide to just repeat it before you verify it, it's like character assassination, isn't it? You're hurting somebody. And you're making a fool out of yourself, eventually. So shock, then talk. And if you can get the talk done, 
and it works out well, what do you get out of that? You get peace. And God calls us to live in peace. Calls us to live in peace with one another. We're not naturally prone to it. Right? It's not our normal MO. We want it, but we don't always support it. We don't always act in it. God says, hey, I want you to be at peace. I don't want you to be in conflict with other people. And I don't want you to be in the rumor mill that talks about the other guys across town that aren't that far away, whatever that means to you. For me, as a pastor, that has meant every other church in the community for years. We've always tried to be supportive of other congregations, of people who love Jesus and get together, maybe do things differently than we do. And if we hear something about them, we don't just repeat it. Why? They're part of the tribe. They're just other tribes. They're other people. Let's, let's catch them building their altar and let's take them out. There's that attitude exists. It can exist in the body of Christ. We're not called to that. We're called to peace. We're called to love one another. We're called to look like Jesus and act like Jesus. Amen. But if we need to, we should go and talk. Earnestly desire peace. And, uh, I'm, I know that how many of you do know how to spell assume? Okay, enough said. I didn't need a PowerPoint with the little lines through to make it. There's the fool. There's, there's the foolish part when we fall into sharing things that we've not verified, passing things around that don't need to be passed. Be the Phineas. Be the hero. Put a javelin through it. Don't, don't through, not through people. You know. I'm going to read that in the paper next week. <laughs> Pastor Jeff said to spear them, man. Get them. <laughs> we need some new leaders in town. Lost a few. Well, take me first. I'd be like the Jews. If that's how you're going to be, then get me first because I'm the least of them. Thank you. <laughs> so I go and get an amen out of Tom Lowe's. Hey, two things we need to do. One is, if you're the person whose heart was pounding saying, when do I get to give my life to Jesus? It's now. So get excited about that. Amen. The, the Bible says that all the angels in heaven throw a party when you give your heart to Jesus. Now, I have a theory on that personally. You can imagine it's not kosher. My theory is, that if God has angels in charge watching over our lives, as we tend to think he does, right? And you have not given your heart to Jesus, they have been extremely busy up to this day keeping you alive. And the day you go, Jesus, take my heart, he gives you the gift of eternal life. And the angels go, whew, they made it. <laughs> if, if they die now, they're going to heaven. So, party, bro! And they're high-fiving, all the angels are high-fiving. Saying, hey, he's in. She's in. What do you think? Can we, how do we do this? I'm going to let you do it. Okay? Is that you? Do you need to give your heart to Jesus? Is that you? <clears throat> and if it's you? Okay. If you got a yes, if you got a yes, then in a moment, I'm going to ask us all to stand because it will be easier to move around. I want you just to lead them by the hand up here. To stand with us and let's say, let's ask Jesus into our hearts. Okay, so let's stand. And right now, if you, if you got a yes from your neighbor, 
Just invite them. Would you, would you like to go now and let Jesus have your life? If so, just bring them with you. And come on down.